Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is the Sauce Town Stories podcast. I am your host, Matt Cox. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. We got a great guest today. Um, as mentioned before, thank you to you guys who subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Um, I know a lot of you listen, but please go subscribe. It helps us out big time. Um, so before we get to our guest, a quick word from Ash Creek, Oregon. They started by growing the best tasting hazelnuts. Then they found the best chocolate. It isn't any more complicated than that. Pure, natural, simple, and delicious. They love their simplistic and natural way of life at Ash Creek, and they believe their product should be a direct image of the life we so love. Their roasted milk and dark chocolate hazelnuts make the perfect gift for your friends and loved ones during any season. Go to ashcreekoregon.com and order today. All right, and after that quick word from our loyal sponsor, Ash Creek Farms, I am joined by our guest today. Um, she is a longtime friend of mine from the sauce. Um, and actually, these days, uh, the last two years or so, uh, is a coworker of mine. Uh, I am joined by Jordan Defoe. Jordan, what is going on? Hey, Matt. It's good to see you. Not like I don't see you or talk to you every day. <laughs> yep. Good, nonetheless, good to see you as well. Um, this is, full disclosure, we are on beer number two. This is the first ever live in-person recording of the Sauce Town Stories podcast. Uh, we're at Loyal Legion Bar in Southeast Portland. Jordan, we're, we're, we're kind of making history here today. Yeah, we are. I mean, it's crazy to see people, um, you know, after being in lockdown for so long. So I'm glad to be the first in person. Oh, and one other, th- I mentioned we're coworkers. Today is a, uh, a third paycheck of the month, uh, <laughs> Friday, which is a very, uh, sacred day in the in the corporate world so the vibes are are very good i hope you're you're feeling good as well jordan i am beers might be on me today (laughs) to to put it out there jordan did cover the first round and offered to cover the second i I did pick up the second though but um (laughs) feeling good about the the three paycheck month (laughs) um so jordan again thanks for making time this is cool doing this in person for the first time um Tell our listeners, you know, people people know you from Salem. You're actually not the first Defoe to be on the podcast. Zach was on here. You are the first, of course, to do a live podcast. Um, tell everyone, just kind of introduce yourself um, and talk a little bit about your roots in Sauce Town and, and growing up in the in, in, in the city. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so born and raised in Salem. Um, most of you know me through my dad, Scott, um, who coaches football at South Salem. Um, grew up playing sports, hanging out with um, families like the Coxes and others um, in the South Salem area. Um, after graduating high school in 2010, shout out to class of 2010, um, I moved down to LA to pursue um, college track and field um, down in LA. Um, then found myself back in Salem after school was over for a hot minute and then ended up getting a job out here in Portland and have been here ever since. Right. And going back to the sauce town roots, uh, there was probably a five or six year period of time where you were about two blocks down the street on Washington from where I lived. Right. Yeah. For a, a long time, probably till, um, 
I don't know, third or fourth grade, I think we moved um, over to the Candelaria area. But yeah, we were on Washington for a long time. Yeah, there were some, in those days, there were some very uh, competitive, whether wiffle ball, basketball, etc. Some very competitive games um, with, obviously, the two of us, but uh, my brother Chad, your brothers, Zach and Jake. But there was, in particular, a very, very heated rivalry, uh, sports-wise and otherwise, between you and Chad. Uh, reflect a little bit on that. What do you remember about that stuff? I don't know if much has changed. Um, I think we've, I think we found a mutual respect and understanding for one another. And I really, I just can't pinpoint exactly what it was. I think um, if I had to say something, maybe we were just too prideful to give the other one space to be successful. Um, but we had a moment a couple of years ago where I was like, "Hey, let's cut the shit. We're too old for this." <laughs> and Chad gave me a, a nice chuckle and agreed. So. I remember a couple of wiffle ball games getting out of hands with the plastic bat. <laughs> Absolutely. And for those that know Chad these days, he's very, like, re- pretty reserved, like, laid back. Um, but for those that knew him back then, I mean, it was full-on temper tantrums, screaming at umpires. Uh, if Chad had a plastic bat in his hand and he struck out, it was probably best to to run for the hills. And, Jordan, you were uh, not that level of uh, – you know, kind of uh, fiery, but but you were very competitive in in your own right. So the, those are some some fun battles in the neighborhood, and and I think in some organized sports leagues too, uh, between the two of you to to kind of to to kind of reflect on. Um, so m- moving forward from that, you you obviously graduate from South High, um, standout athlete in the kind of the sport you did basketball track basketball and track and volleyball and volleyball that's right three sport athlete um the one you ended up being best at was was track and you um head down to the la area and run at cal state northridge cal Cal state northridge that's right i remember you came and saw actually one of my baseball games when i was playing down yeah pasadena in the la area i mean (laughs) looking back in that on that time uh not just in college, but but in LA in general. I mean, what were some of the the, the coolest things that you t- you took from that time, and what what did you learn during your time down there? I think LA was like a really really humbling experience for me. Um, growing up in a smaller town like Salem, um, it's easy to get an inflated understanding of like who you are um, in society, and like just being good at sports is like a totally different. Um, arena, if you will, um, for misunderstanding yourself. So going down to LA, you're one of millions of people. So that was really interesting to me. Like the diversity and being around all different types of people was really cool. And it's something I really miss um, being here in Portland. And then um, competing as an athlete at the Division One level was really interesting. Um, because going into it, I was like, I'm going to be an Olympic athlete. I'm going to do all these things. You know, this is who I am. Like, this is my identity. And then you go to practice day one and you get your butt kicked. Then you go to day two and you get your butt kicked. And day three, same thing. And it goes on and on. Um, so I think being being humbled and having that experience um, in a big city like L.A. Was, was really good for me with where I was at at that time of my life. Um, also, being able to flex and be on a beach in October when it was 77 degrees was a pretty awesome feeling. Knowing all my friends were in, like, snow and rain, that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, 
going to Hollywood on the drop of a dime, you know, taking the 20 minute drive to Malibu, things like that were really, really fun. And just, it opens up like a whole new view of like what the world could be living in a place like that. Um, and then getting to do that, you know, through an athletic scholarship was kind of the best part all about it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, um, going into that, you, you were like, I'm going to be an Olympic athlete. And you, you, you bring that up. And obviously, we're in the middle of the Olympics right now. You have a few, I'm not sure if they were teammates. I've seen you post it on Instagram or if they're just friends of yours. Um, but you do have a few, are, are they teammates or friends or people that you know that are in this Olympics right now? Yeah, I was like really looking forward to this Olympics. Um, I've got a handful of former teammates. Um, Samantha Dirks is running for, Bar- I think it's Barbados. Um, in the 400 meter, I think my former teammate, um, Hastitu Kamara is running in the one and two for Sierra Leone. Um, the Krauser brothers from, from Oregon, I met them in high school. I think they're throwing at least one of them. And then they're from like Grants Pass or something. I, I want to say, I think the they're Krauser from brothers? the greater Portland area. Oh, they are. Okay. Yeah. I'm totally off. They're, um, like a Olympic family. And the first time I did the heptathlon, which is what I did in college, um, their cousin was the first time you know, heptathlete as well. And she was so bad. It was like the regional heptathlon. I don't even remember her name, but she was so bad. And then we come back for the finals, like a couple of months later, and she was the best athlete on the track. I'm like, this has to be rigged. Um, so their family's like really incredible. Um, and then the last person I know that's running, my former roommate, Olympia Jewett, um, and teammate who also did the hep, she had this younger brother who's just her kid brother. He's probably a seventh or eighth grader. Um, when we were freshmen in college and, um, he came out, um, out of high school and went to UC Irvine after two years, transferred to USC to run under Quincy Watts, who's the former 400 meter record holder for the world, um, who coached at Northridge, which was really cool. Um, and he won the NCAAs, um, and then just qualified for the Olympics and runs tonight, um, at 550 for the men's 800 meter. The kid's like 23, 24 years old. It's insane. Oh, wow. Well, we will be sure to wrap up this interview prior to 550 <laughs> so that we can all um, catch that. I mean, so going from from L.A. to Portland, like the, obviously the the contrasts are there's the obvious stuff. There's beaches. It's a huge city. Portland's a little bit more laid back. I mean, which of the two do you ever see yourself going back to a bigger city like that? Or are you really enjoying kind of the. I mean, it's it's hard to say Portland's slow paced, but it is a, as far as big cities are concerned, it is slow paced. I mean, do you see yourself uh, staying here, or would you like to to maybe move around a little bit more? Um, I I think that I'm one of those people that makes like really bold decisions. So when an opportunity presents itself and it makes sense, I'll I'll do it. I think I have my eyes set on moving to Europe in the next like five to seven years. Oh wow! Okay. Very cool, and like living in the country and like a small town and getting out of corporate America would be really interesting to me. Um, but obviously finances and opportunity to get a visa are big things that I'd have to tackle before being able to do that. Um, but I don't know. It just kind of depends. I'd, I'd be open to moving to LA. There's nothing like having, you know, nice weather all year round. Um, but I think one of the biggest things I missed about being in Oregon was seasons and being able to have a different wardrobe every season, get your fits on, and then also just take a break from being in the sun. Um, so I don't know, it just kind of depends, but you know, if there's something in LA that starts to call me, I would definitely be open to moving back. Yeah. And I, I know you're big on the, the different outfits each season. There was, um, 
a, a guy who worked at our, uh, and we'll get in a, a little more into uh, what Jordan does for work here shortly, but there was a guy that worked with us who had a fashion background. And back before COVID, when the office was open, there was always sort of a little friendly competition, kind of like strutting into the office. With His name was Kevin. He would have his new look. Jordan would have her new look. I remember Jordan came back from an Italy trip and had a bunch of all the design, designer, all the drip, <laughs> as the kids say. Um, <laughs> Kevin was jealous. You know, it was uh, – <laughs> no, I know that's uh, – a, a big thing for you. And I know I, so I was at your dad's birthday a few weeks ago and he had talked about um, him and your mom, Scott and Anne Marie potentially getting a place in Italy. Is that, is that something that I know you said Europe, is that some Italy in particular that appeals to you or just kind of uh, open-ended on that? I think it's open-ended. Um, Spain would be interesting. Um, Croatia might be interesting. Anything in the Southern Mediterranean sphere would be cool. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited for my parents to retire and get on to that next chapter of their lives. They've done so much really interesting work with the Salem community, and I'm ready for them to have a break and have some adventures with them because it's just not something that has really been in the cards. So fingers crossed they get to Italy ASAP. Yeah, definitely. And they've uh, done some really – I hadn't been to the house in a while. They've done some really cool stuff with the – uh, kitchen and, and backyard. I could tell Scott had, uh, in particular, was really enjoying that new kind of uh, backyard barbecue oasis that he had built. So that was pretty cool. Um, okay, so let's move a little bit into what you're up to now. I know you started in Portland. We'll kind of jump to your current job. I know you started in the recruiting space. And now you are at, as I said, we're, we're co-workers. Jordan was actually the one that set me up uh, with my interview at, at the, the company we both work at now. But how did you end up at uh, this company called Sirium uh, in, the, in the, the aviation space of all things? Okay, so this is probably the most wild story in terms of like work experience that I've had so far. Um, so as I, I was at my first recruiting company and I was ready to make a move. And I came across what was then Flight Global before the acquisition. And um, I was talking to the sales manager. He was like, oh, you should totally interview for this job. And I interviewed and it was super cool. They wanted to hire me. And then it came to salary and I was like, yeah, I can't, can't work for that money. I need to make enough money to live downtown and like keep my lifestyle. So he goes, all right, go, go get some experience. And then if it all aligns, you know, we'll hire you on. Um, so I ended up going to a creative staffing and recruiting firm, and that was such a cool experience. Got to work with Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, like super sexy agencies here in town. Um, and it was a really awesome experience. And then um, towards the end of my time there, my former boss hit me up and he's like, are you ready to come sell some data? And I had no idea what I was signing myself up for, but I thought this would be a cool next step in my career to get some better experience. And, and that was it. Um, so like I said, we sell data. It's an aviation-based data company that supports a lot of different um, verticals within the industry, everything from like logistics to financiers, airports and airlines and corporate travel, like you know, but it's definitely an interesting place um, with an interesting value proposition um, in the market. Yeah, and we are uh, we, we are sitting outside right now. There's there's cars and buses rolling by, so forgive if there's any interruptions in the sound. Um, but yeah, it's it, uh, it's interesting. I was I want to ask you because one obviously when you meet people, like one of the first things they invitably like they ask about your work 
and I'm always, when people ask me, I'm like, this is the most abstract, like to tell people I sell aviation data, like what the heck does that mean? I mean, do you have like a 30 second, I know you sort of just gave it, but like, do you have a 30 second elevator pitch that you tell people for what we do? It's so funny you say that because I don't think my parents still understand like what I do for my job. And so the best way to explain it and how I'll like give it context to people who aren't in this space is like anytime you've ever booked a flight on an airline's website or um, an online travel agency like bookings.com or kayak, um, we're the data that's powering that screen that you see with the schedules um, or like any of the real time alerting that you get from like somebody like Alaska, like your flight's on time, it's delayed or here's the baggage you go to, all of that data that you query when you send that response or like that question through we come back with that answer through through the data. Um, so it's something that's like really upstream, but it's definitely hard to explain to people that aren't in aviation or even understands like what data is. But chances are you've touched our data in some way or another just by being in an airport. Yeah, the one I usually go with, I mean, like you said, Jordan, we sell to all different verticals and different types of businesses. The way I usually describe it to like your average person is the way you interact with it is maybe when you go on an app your airline app to check on if your flight is on time or what gate you're at or things like that yours is much more um i don't know if abstract is the word I, so i i sell to airports you're selling to all different types of like google and um um expedia, expedia yeah. just a lot of tech companies and i think that's what keeps it interesting is um working with tech companies who are really interested in the aviation space. And after COVID, I mean, there's no flights on the schedule, there's nothing going on. And then you see like venture capitalist money and big companies like Google still investing in travel um, and how how to make it easier for leisure and business travelers to move seamlessly around the world. Like, it's really interesting to see like how these big companies take an approach, which to us, like, you know, you buy a ticket, you go to the airport, you get on a plane, like it seems like, so standard but there's all these processes and things going on in the back end that make that come to life um and you know when there's delays and things like that like how does the industry shift um to then make sure you get to your final destination so you know next time you book your flight know there's hundreds of thousands of people working to make sure that like this happens and it happens the right way at the right time um to see like that whole ecosystem come together and you know make sure flights are leaving and moving people is super interesting which who now because <laughs> aviation data <laughs> seriously I, I remember you telling me about it the first time and being like you should interview here and i was like i have no clue what this is but i'll i'll go take the interview um so this is a this is a big question around your your work and it's i wouldn't ask it to most people but you're you know you're in the space and you're qualified to answer it i mean so we've seen and i know you're always reading up on different articles and looking at different metrics for this i mean what where do you see travel heading like are we do you think we're gonna get back to you know we always metric against 2019 levels um because that's pre-covid obviously i mean do you think we're we're on the way back or are there more uh kind of difficult times ahead Ugh, that's like the question of the hour. Um, Putting you on the spot. I know. I think it'll depend on how governments react to the Delta variant. Um, you see places like France telling their people that if you have not been vaccinated, 
um, you're going to be stuck inside. Um, and then places like the U.S. where it's kind of 50-50 up in the air, just letting people move around. So I think it'll really depend on what governments decide to do. Um, but with Europe kind of struggling with tourism and, you know, needing money to keep com or countries alive, um, I think we're just going to see kind of a push of open borders and, you know, people are willing to travel even if it means wearing a mask on a flight like people want to jump jump on planes and go somewhere because it's been so long um like i'm gonna go to somewhere in europe i think we're gonna go to spain in september just to get out and feel feel some sort of normalcy and feel alive for the first time in a while and you were you were going to france right and you guys just pivoted to spain correct yeah well my boyfriend's sister planned this whole 40th birthday in france and then nobody wanted to go because of covid and like costs to fly right now uh -oh. so she's like i'm gonna cancel and we're like well we still want to go somewhere um so we'll figure out where we're going but i might i've been tracking flights for france and it seems like the closer we get to the departure, the lower the prices get. So my one tip or advice would be, if you're looking to book internationally, maybe wait a little bit longer than you would normally, because um, people are trying to get butts in seats right now and get revenue. Um, so longer you wait to book those flights, I think we'll see them dip down a little bit more to just get people moving. Because there's a lot of like Greece, for example, their whole, in Italy, their whole economies are built on tourism. So. If people are unable to make money, governments will, you know, relax restrictions with COVID and just get people moving so long as it's safe for, like, the greater population. Absolutely. Yeah, my, my parents are actually headed to Greece in October so long as nothing, you know, no yeah. other restrictions come in. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because we obviously, Jordan, work with a lot of industry lifers in in uh, the airline and airport space, and there's all these different rules. I, I remember one, uh, you know, John Jagger, who we work with, he mentioned, he's like, always book a flight on Tuesdays and always book it like three weeks out or something. Don't quote me on that, but just some some quick pro tips for anyone looking to, uh, to get the best value on a flight. Um, Jordan, so another thing work-wise that I wanted to make sure that we cover, um, I know this was more, um, kind of pedal to the metal prior to COVID. Um, but you and another one of our coworkers were kind of working on, um, and I'll let you elaborate on it, a kind of a, a woman in, in women in business initiative where you were bringing in some different speakers and things like that um, to talk to. I, I don't think it was even just Sirium. They were talking to women that, that work uh, throughout the Portland area. Um, just, yeah, tell us a little bit about that program. Yeah, me and one of my, my colleagues um, were similar age and she had been at the business maybe a year or so before I started. Um, we just saw an opportunity to create a space for women within the industry. Um, we look at aviation and you look at tech, there are not a lot of women in industry, uh, in the industry. Um, it's very non-diverse when you look at it as a whole. So we thought it'd be a good opportunity to create some space. So. We put together WEN, which is Women's Empowerment Network, and launched it out of our Portland office. And it's something that quickly got picked up by um, our parent company and our like ESG group um, to start to and, roll out. And what's ESG for our listeners? Catching me on too much of the fly. <laughs> That's all right. It's like a... It's around diversity. <laughs> yeah. Got it. No worries. Um, and so, yeah, we started building out um, different events, different resources that people um, could access, different, you know, books to read, things like that. And I think like our biggest accomplishment, even though it didn't go through all the way, um, was one morning I was listening to Jonathan Van Ness's podcast from Queer Eye. 
and um, I love his podcast. It's another like go-to outside of Saucetown stories that I like to listen to. And um, he was interviewing this woman called Sally Krawcheck, who was kind of the first woman to Wall Street. Um, she's worked at a lot of different big banks in Wall Street. And a couple of years ago, um, she took a step back and decided to open up this company called Elevest. And so Jonathan Venice was talking to her about that a little bit and what they were up to. And it's, um, you know, a, a space to give women financial literacy, talking about the wealth gap between men and women. And I just, I thought this is exactly the type of stuff I want to learn. And I think other people would be really interested in it. So um, through one of our, our tools, Zoom Info that we use, shout out Zoom Info, another Oregon business um, or Washington business. Um, Technically. Yeah. Close. We're, it's Vancouver. We're, we're, we're claiming it for Oregon. Yeah, we'll claim it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I found her contact info and I just emailed her and I was like, hey, I heard you on Jonathan Van Ness. Love him. Love that you love Jonathan Van Ness. That's super cool. This is kind of what we're up to at our company. And would you be interested in talking? And not even like an hour or two later, she got back to me. Like Sally Krawcheck. I mean, if you go look her up, she's like verified on every social platform like melinda gates it's like somebody who's in like you're suggested to look at after you look at sally krawcheck and that probably has to be the coolest thing of my career is getting in touch with her and so this was in late february so we had a couple of meetings with her assistant she was going to come out to portland and then bam the world shuts down so we'll we'll come back to sally at some point sally if you hear this we're waiting for you in Portland. Um, I like to think Sally is a loyal listener to Sauce Town <laughs> Stories. I can't confirm or deny, but I, I I like to think that we'll get her on the pod. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be awesome, and and hopefully you can um, get her out to Portland still. I know um, business travel is starting to open up, so that would be uh, extremely cool. Um, so. I wanted to, I know you mentioned off air, you wanted to uh, cover this as well, like a big part of your life in the last year. Um, so you purchase a home here in, uh, actually very close to here in Southeast Portland, right? I think it was right before the pandemic hit. Um, you guys have been constant. It's a really, really cool, like Victorian house, um, but it needed some work on it. You guys have been constantly working on that. I was actually there a few weeks ago for the Euro Cup final. It's looking pretty on point, but um, what has that process been like? It like you you enjoy it to a certain degree, but it's kind of a burden as well, right? Dude, I don't even know if we knew what we were getting ourselves into. So a little bit of context: um, my boyfriend's from the East Coast, and his dad like buys and flips houses, like old old houses, like Victorian style on the East Coast. So we were just kind of like. I don't know, messing around, going to open houses is something to do on like a Sunday morning when we got our coffee and I saw this house. I'm like, oh, we should check it out. And we go in there and my boyfriend Joe's like, oh, this is really cool. This is, I'm like, do you want the house? Like, how bad do you want it? I was like ready to like do a deal. Like, so I go up, he's like, yeah, let's, let's just like put in an offer and see what happens. We won't get it, but let's get some practice because maybe we'll want to buy a house someday. So I started talking to Carrie, a real estate agent and the real estate agent of the house we're going back and forth and she's like yeah let's get an offer in three days later we get the house and i was i mean who who would have thought i mean we weren't the, the highest offer if anyone knows the real estate market in oregon is absolutely crazy all up and down the west coast really um but in oregon in particular and so somehow we got this 1894 four-story victorian house that needed a lot of tlc um so we've been doing everything on our own and I don't know if I 
knew how to use a drill before this, but I can say now that I can like 60% of the time do it, which is awesome. <laughs> 60% with the drill is, uh, is, is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. And I can, I can use a sander 100% of the time. Like I'm really good at using a sander. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So this house was, uh, I remember right when you guys bought it, it was, let's just say there were some interesting folks that lived there before there was all these like weird security cameras at different angles and stuff. This was quite, uh, quite the projects, but it's looking pretty incredible. Uh, these days I, I can certainly vouch for it myself going to see it. And it's, uh, it's funny cause a lot of people do, uh, not to get into like a huge real estate conversation, but people see houses like that and, and your average person won't offer on it cause they want a house that's like ready to go and they don't want to do the work themselves. Um, so it's really, really awesome what you guys have done with it. Do you have any, like, uh, give us, I'll put you on the spot. Give us like one DIY homeowner pro tip that people could do to make their house look cooler or uh, that's maybe not super expensive. It's something you did that you thought was was pretty cool at your place. I don't know if every house has this, um, but if you're in like an older home, try to like bring out the original features. Um, we have like all this original molding from the 1800s that the owner had painted black. And we found a guy that was able to strip all the paint off and all we had to do was put some stain on the molding and it, it completely changed the vibe of the house. So I'd say like identify, identify characteristics original to your house and try to bring them back to life. Um, I mean, even just redoing your floors or tossing on some paint. I mean, it really does wonders for a space. Yeah. Now that you say it, I, I had totally forgotten that those, uh, kind of door trimmings and stuff were black when you first bought it, yeah, which, shiny which, black. which was like a shame cause they're really cool now. It's like, why the hell did they paint them black in the first place? Um, but yeah, that part looks super nice now. Um, so yeah, there's your little little DIY tip for uh, our homeowners uh, homeowners out there that are listening to the pod. Um, so Jordan, before we uh, wrap up, let's uh, aside from obviously working in aviation, crushing it, uh, promotion recently. By the way, congratulations! Thank you. Um, the homeowner stuff. You've been working hard on that. I mean, what are you what are you doing for recreation and, and fun these days? Dude, that's a big on the spot. Um, well, I actually just started rewatching Game of Thrones, so maybe that's my fun thing that I'm doing. There you go. <laughs> we're definitely not 55 years old. We're, we're 30, but no, Game of Thrones is great. It's a great re great rewatch. Yeah, it's a great rewatch. Um, I finally got enough confidence to ride on those Lime scooters by myself, so maybe that's a recreation. Big, yeah. Um, and just, like, getting outside. It's nice weather. Um think like another kind of house related project that could be really interesting for me personally is getting our yard into shape I love plants um, I've got like 50 indoor plants these days which is absolutely absurd um, instead of like an old cat lady I'm the old plant lady it's like an indoor rainforest in there I can it's crazy it, it looks nice though yeah and it's nice to keep something alive um, after COVID especially just feeling like slightly dead inside not having human <laughs> contact for a while um so yeah I think getting our yard will be like a cool my cool recreation for the end of summer cool well um as always before we hop off this has been awesome I actually am really uh liking recording in person it's nice being able to look someone face to face and 
see body language and all that stuff instead of uh, just staring at a phone during an interview. So this has been awesome. Um, before we hop off, any the floor is yours. So any shout outs to anyone in Salem that you want to give or any um, plugs you want to give to any organization or it's, it's really your call right now. Yeah. I think I'm going to do a really random shout out, but Tia Williams, if you're listening, she works for the department of transportation and is like big energy in the Portland's local government. I think that's super cool. Um, and then just with like the spirit of the last couple of years, if, you know, there's a local organization that just supports diversity and inclusion in any way, I'd say take the leap and get involved. Um, and then lastly, if you are looking for any type of outlets um, creatively, sign up for my brother's acting class. He's got classes every week. Um, he's loving it and having a lot of momentum behind what he's doing and some really funny stories. So if you're into it, I say go for it and have a really cool experience, even if it's just for a class or two. And you can do that at SalemPlayhouse.com. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's SalemPlayhouse.com. There's an Instagram, too, Yeah. Right if you go to Zach's, um, Zach Defoe's social, he's posting about the Salem Playhouse. They, right now, they're at the Elsinore, um, but they may be moving to a theater in Kaiser for a permanent home um, in the next couple of months. So, um, always got to plug my brother. I love him to death. So, if you guys can support him, definitely do it. Very, very selfless move. Not even... Uh, advertising for herself uh taking care of big bro that's awesome um lastly though where where can people follow you if they just want to if you want to share your instagram or whatever if people want to keep up with what you're doing um in life in general dang i haven't made any tiktoks but you can find me on tiktok i don't know what my handle is but on instagram (laughs) i'm j j zero d 23 um on on instagram and then just jordan defoe on linkedin that's probably my most pop in social platform these days um but you know my mom posts a lot of updates you can follow her too (laughs) (laughs) i know i saw on on facebook i think my mom posts more stuff about me than i do she in fact she i've i've told my mom before she's kind of a salem influencer i know you're sure i know your mom is too but when my mom reshares the podcast which she usually does I see the the listens spike pretty drastically. Because Nancy's the goat. Yeah, when when she sh- let's just put it this way, when she shares it, they go up by a lot more than <laughs> than when I share it. So, um, okay, well let's um, we can definitely like grab another beer off air, but let's uh, wrap this thing up, Jordan. Uh, it was awesome having you on here, and and thanks for joining us. Uh, this has been the Sauce Town Stories podcast. See ya.